when I was in my first placement, and I was studying in seminary, I was at this wonderful, beautiful parish in North Toronto, and St. Clements, and we had a fantastic staff, and um, each of the priests were fantastic and amazing, and I learned so much from them. And it was always a privilege when they let me go up there with my shaking hands to deliver my, my sermons. And when my time came, I was there for about two years, and my time came to uh, leave that place. Uh, they gave me the privilege, although I think they, they thought it was funny, to give me to preach Trinity Sunday. That was my first ser uh, sermon in the full church, Sunday morning, the biggest service. And uh, yeah, we thought it would be cute. And I was terrified because, well, I don't know, what do you, what do you, what do you say? And uh, I tried finding that old sermon because I tried to keep them. No luck. So. Uh, that to say, this is a comp uh, the doctrine of the Trinity is extremely complicated. And I've thought different ways of how to share this with you. And if you uh, subscribe to our newsletters, I sent you some articles of theology by St. Augustine and other thinkers, St. Louis, who've had their take trying to explain how it may it can all come together. And they're very lovely. I encourage you to go to them if you haven't read them. Uh, but it's really interesting that the readings we were given today, this year, for Trinity Sunday, really, it's the creation now. The Holy Spirit over the waters, God's power creating. And then we have St. Paul uh, writing, and it's a, there are four verses, and he's ending 11. That's what we got to. And then we get the gospel. We have the risen Jesus giving his instructions to the early believers, but also to us, of what we're, what we're supposed to do in the way of the reality of Jesus. We go out there and make disciples. And then we baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Why those readings? Right? Why a postscript or the ending of a letter, a command, and a large chunk of the creation? There are probably really good reasons for that. Why the lectionary creators decided that. My takeaway from that is when we consider God, who God is, as humans, we have questions. And each one of us here, different places in our spiritual journey. Some of us are diehards or Christians at the end. You say it, I believe it. And others of us, we're not sure about it. And that's okay. This is our home, we're all here. But I think these readings have been selected to invite us into a posture that is necessary to begin to receive an understanding of the divine. It's that posture of the heart that, in fact, Jesus is always inviting us to in his whole ministry on earth and even today. And that posture is humility. Because it's easy to, well, it's easy to forget, but it's also easy to remember that we are human beings trapped in space and time with finite capacities, right? Even the smartest among us have limited, not infinite, cognitive abilities. And we're asking our hearts and our minds 
to, in a sense, try to conceptualize and try to understand the divine, infinite creator. That's a tall order. Right? Some of you may have read the book of Job. And it's a, the oldest book in the Bible, by far, by a man, not even, not Hebrew, it's not Jewish. And it's a story of his suffering. It's a story of him crying out to God and having terrible friends who don't encourage him. And he seems to be an innocent person who just suffered. Very end of the story. Spoiler, but it should be good this. God shows up. Because Job is saying some wild things. Job, Job says things like, I'm innocent. I've only done good. I protect widows and orphans. I only do the best. Can you explain, God? Can you explain yourself to me? Why is it that you're making me suffer when I'm the best person around? And then God shows up. And instead of answering this question directly, God shows up and he says to Job, Hey, Job, are you able to create clouds? Hey, Job, see this fantastic sea creature? Can you play with it with a kitten? Hey, Joe, where were you when I was establishing the universe, stars, and sky, the foundations of the earth? Can you speak and make the sun rise? I mean, you almost want to say, to God would be cheeky, but it's God, right? I mean, without saying, he was saying, hey, Joe, maybe if you come to me, you want to understand me, you're going to have to try a little bit more. Um, that's the place to start. I mean, Job gets it immediately. He's like, oh, I'm really sorry. You're right. I don't even remember where I'm at. Human. And uh, it's really cool. I won't say more. You should read the story. It's really wonderful. But I suspect that's what we're invited to do. Much for Jetman. But it's important because each one of us here also has their own story of frustration, hurt, suffering. And when you think about God, it gets complex. And what I'm resisting, although it is very tempting, is that we're not doing philosophy class today. Not really. There is a philosopher of the Trinity in this very vast and meets in Augustine's tome on the Trinity, which is something that I had to. Very end, he tells you, you know, I wrote this, but I'm not even sure what this We should all just pray. But I want to give you something. And I know I always have friends with a 40 minute sermon, but today of all days, not happening. My Chicago friend, Leaves, we're at the middle right now. Um, when you, uh, I'm not sure the process here in this diocese, uh, but the, my other diocese, the process coordination, um, you, know, you go through all this uh, testing and interviews, and it's a whole thing. When you get to the last stage, you go into a room for an hour with three established clerics, and then no notes, and they just throw questions at you. Some of the hardest. And you gotta, Deliver five minutes or less, and the final question, which everyone knows is coming, but it's legendary, is explain the trend. Five minutes. Go. And you sit there and you fumble. That's what we do. It. Well, I'll give you this. And this is meant to start a conversation, it's not an end. But um, hear this and we'll talk about it. Okay, this is a little philosophy. Here we go. Um, think of yourselves. You know, I said it would be. All right. Uh, think of yourselves. Um, you have memory. I have mind. All right. You can think of your life. I can. I had cereal this morning. There it is. You had your breakfast. Think of your breakfast. Now you're thinking about 
uh, your experience. And if I say, hey, what did you have? I say, well, I had cereal or eggs or bacon, whatever it is that you had. And that's very normal for you to say that, for you to refer to yourself as an individual, because you are an individual, you're a person, right? And that person, um, many philosophers will say, no, and they say it's not identical to biology, right? Haven't you ever had a leg cramp? Like, oh, my body's training, that hurts. You talk about yourself as a two of you, as you, and as that body of yours is getting in your way, right? And there's a kind of an insight that we think that we're not identical with our bodies. And, um, I've had actually two family members pass away in the past week, and very comfortably to say, oh, grandma is in heaven. Of course, we have a body with us. But very naturally, we say, she's your Lord. And that's not odd, that's not weird. We have an intuitive understanding that there is something about it that we're not reduced to our biology, there's something more in the sum of our parts. We have words for that. The loss of local use the word mind, or maybe we use the word soul, the immaterial self. Right? So we're comfortable with that. And it's a one to one. One body, one mind. One body, one person, one person. In fact, for us humans, if someone has more than one person in their mind, we get medical assistance. But there might be something that's not, not functioning properly. That's not how we sort of see humanity. We have one person, one mind. God is the kind of being that has three persons with one substance. I hesitate to say one body, like your heresy, but one substance with one body. Well, at least in particular theology. For us, for us humans to have three voices in our minds would be a breaking of our proper function. God is the type of being that has that and is to his perfection to have those three persons. And whereas for us, we can talk about our personhood, that it remains something ultimately ephemeral that we can't fully touch, we can't access, we just sort of have to think about it. God's personhood is so perfect, and God has such perfect access to his personhood. But they are like three individual, they are three individual entities with mind, with will, with desires that are in complete harmony. And that's all. That's the lecture. Yeah, here you go. Um, I'm confident that that didn't answer the question of Trinity. That is. Little Dustin thrown in there. But really, you have to be asking yourself on the one hand, if you're really curious about theology, you may dive into it. Wonderful. But really, the question has to be okay, why does this matter? Really? Right? Because if you're Christian day to day, really, you want to talk about Jesus. There may be God the Father, but we say God, right? In, in a univocal sense, we don't really play, I mean, in our liturgy, you have the Holy Spirit, the readings. But I'm not sure that we actually think of it that way because it's not how humans relate. I never think of you guys as being a community of people in a body. So why should I be doing that with God? You know, God says that. What's the point? And in fact, historically, there's been great reactions to that. Christianity comes out of the Jewish tradition. And there are siblings in this world, but they who spoke of it say, yeah, that's a confusion, Christians. God is one. In the Shema, right? The most ancient. Jewish prayer, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Right? Hero Israel. But here are Christians with this trend. And then of course our Muslim neighbors will look at us, and they come a little later in history, and they look at the Christian and they're like, 
Guys, dudes are right. This whole turning thing doesn't make sense. God is one. And so here we are in the awkward middle, as Christians saying, Trinity. Why? Why would that matter? Well, the, the very brief cheap answer is that Jesus clearly says that at the end of the command to his followers, baptize people in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Right? And there you have St. Paul in one of the oldest letters, predating, predating the Gospels, signing off his letters, saying, hey, this is real. Okay, so it's our history. From the earliest Christians have understood that, even though they couldn't maybe talk about it fully, it took 300 years for us to understand what we're talking about. It was at the beginning of our faith. But here, I think, is why it matters today. And I hope, I hope this helps. Because something that we believe so deeply, and I believe so deeply, it's what brought me to the Christian faith and keeps me is that I firmly believe that at the center of this universe we have love. I believe that. And it's not a different love, it's not a word to use very simply because we use it all the time. Oh, I love this macaroni cheese. Not that. I mean, actual love, personal love. That love that is directed to you and me sees us in our brokenness and frailty. And does not reject us but embraces us. Love. Love is prior to space and time. Love is prior to the universe. And I think that's why the inside of the Trinity it arises. That's why the Christians uh, we still proclaim it because Christians, if anything, should be known for their love. And I know that's complicated. I know that's often happened in our history. At least the one that we can easily point to, but. It has been the driving force of our faith. But if you say that God is one, one to one like us, God is one God, one man, one mindset, not this trinity, not this community, but just one, I'm going to show you what you get. Because if that's true, then prior to any creation, prior to anything, see, God created everything. You know that? Even the most ancient angels. Even that first creation, before that first being, whatever it is, an angel with 12 wings up there, before that first creation was created, there was God alone in existence, in existence. Which means that God is one. One God, one mind. Then power creates the universe. Force creates the universe. Ability creates the universe. But love doesn't. Love, like so much else, is a creator, not central to reality, an artifact of it. God would have to learn love, because there was no one to love. Love is, by definition, relational. What does it mean to love when there's nothing else around you? It's uh, almost non secular. But if God is not one to one, but God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, means God is community. Which means that before anything else existed, God, in that community of love, was loving and glorifying each other. God the Father loving the Son, the Son loving the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit loving the Father. As Archbishop William Temple would say, this, this infinite dance all creation going on. Love existing. 
And then, incredibly, you can say, as I do, and as many people want to say, love is the center of all things. But really, only a Christian can say that. With any credibility. Right? Because if you're a materialist and all you really have is the blind mechanical forces of what we perceive as science, love is not the center of anything. What you have at the center is strong, even the weak. That's the center of reality. Right? Or you have a God, there's only one God, one mind, one memory, one will. The best chance you have is the center of reality and power. And that way of seeing the world is actually what dominates this world we have. Power is actually the bottom of any interaction. Companies, systems of finance, laws. That's what unbridges power is to break that law. Power to take and force you in that cell. The rest of your natural life. Right? You go pay that bill. If I disagree with you, well, we'll have to decide between the two of us who has the bigger move. Power. That's our natural time. But God is coming to this world in Jesus and say, no. There is a fundamental misunderstanding of the universe and the world that I've made. How I have made it. I've given myself for this world. At the center of it is power, is indifference, it's love. And God says that, He proves it by coming into our world as Jesus Christ, that member of the Trinity, giving His life on the cross, paying for our sins, that thing in our lives that breaks our relationship with God. God comes Himself, heals that, gives us His life, and we have a choice to accept it. And when we accept it, then we go ahead and baptize people. We go follow, we make followers. Last week here we did. My daughter was baptized. It was beautiful. And it wasn't just pomp and circumstance, it wasn't just a, a photo walk. We were following what Jesus commanded us to do. We bring her to Jesus. Because in that moment, we were declaring, although she didn't understand, but she will in years to come. And sweetheart, when I tell you that God loves you and that loves the center of this universe, you mean this. Ultimate reality. And there are voices out there, whether well, vulgar or sophisticated, that want to trip you up and make you believe it's otherwise. Make you believe there's only blind forces, there's no means for it. Or the only meaning, if there is meaning, is power, and that's all you need. Get the right career, get the right education, get the right money. And you live confused. And we hurt each other. The only way to live in this world is to love each other. And if you want a greatest resource, undergird that love that isn't just your own fancy, but actually grounds that love and something real. It's the Holy Trinity, the eternal love prior to all creation that has existed in harmony and unity forever. And God invites that in us into that life, or as the Holy Temple would say, God invites us to that dance. Hand is out, not compelled, not forced. Up to you. And then maybe, maybe we take a chance, right? All I hope that you do. Because only the Holy Trinity is the true source of love in this world. And that's something we so desperately need. To that end, let us pray. Gracious love of God.
We give you thanks and praise that you see us in our weakness and our frailty. You see us in our loneliness and you come to us every day, every moment of every day. You don't come with power, you don't come with overwhelming might, you don't come humble and so gentle, offering us your life and your love. And God, I pray for everyone in this room that we may help us remove whatever's blocking us from seeing who you are and who actually you are. Help us to accept your gift of love. And then help us to be people in this world who share your divine love that can overcome hatred, that can overcome resentment, lack of forgiveness. That we can be people that are part of the healing of this world in our lives. This we pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.